So you ever have anything happen to you that's just like unbelievable? You're just like, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe that worked out. I had one of those unbelievable experiences this week. It happened on Thursday. So if you understand me and my week, it's different than you. Because you guys, a lot of you work, you know, probably most people work Mondays through Fridays. And, uh, and then you have Saturdays and Sundays. Well, I work on Sunday. So what I usually do is Thursday after Thursday on Friday, I, I just kind of, that's kind of my day. You know, this Friday I was out working, you know, cutting up shrubs and stuff and pruning and working in my rose garden and kind of taking it easy. And then that afternoon, that evening, I went to the ball game and had fun and stuff. Um, I'll do writing in the afternoon or reading, whatever, just kind of hang a little bit. Um, that's kind of my day. So what I do is I work on the sermon on Thursday and Friday. I just, uh, Saturday, Thursday morning, Saturday morning, I, I snug it all up, make sure everything's okay. I got to check it on Thursday because if I got any problems, I'm in trouble, right? And I have to send off to Mitch. We're changing some things around. I go there, go there on Thursday to my, to my documents on my computer. It's gone. No sermon anywhere. So what I did, I went to the resident IT expert, a.k.a. my wife. And I said, help! And then she, she didn't know what to do. So then I went to the wizard himself. Remember that old cartoon? Remember that? Help, Mr. Wizard! So I went to Mr. Wizard, you know, the guy who knows everything about tech, my buddy Mitch. And I said, Mitch, what are we doing here? And Mitch said, calm down, calm down. That's what he always says to me first. Calm down. He usually says it twice. Calm down, calm down. And then after he does that, he says, remember when you were having trouble with your computer a little ways back? And I go, yeah. And you were working on your sermon? Yeah. He said, I had a feeling something like this would happen. So I saved it. So I have it and I'm going to send it to you. So that's how I'm preaching this this morning. So thank you, Mitch. So I told him, I told him, be glad we don't have a building yet. And we're not in the same building because I come over and hug and kiss you. So I mean, I was, I was excited, right? Um, but here's the deal. Some, the, the book of Romans is a little bit like that. We're in a mess. We can't fix it. We can't get out. It's unbelievable. How could this be that we're, there's no way for us to get out of the mess we're in on this planet? But God comes along and he says, don't worry. I've done it all for you. I've done it all for you. And so you can come on in. You know, that, that's the message of Romans, right? I mean, that's what, that's what Romans is all about. And we go back to that first chapter of Romans and, and Paul says, hey, you know what? You can get into heaven by faith. I will make you right with me by faith. And that's what God is saying. Yes. And then people have a problem. And the problem they have with that is they say, no, that, that's unbelievable. I cannot believe in something that unbelievable. I'm going to have to try to do this on my own. What if I had told Mitch, no, no, wait, don't send it. Don't send it. I'm going to try to figure this out on my own. Let me know. <laughs> Somebody knows I have a lot of trouble here. So we'd be in a lot. He, Joe, my buddy Joe knows me too well. It would be, we wouldn't have a sermon today, okay? Um, so, so we've got to, you know, we're in trouble. We've got a problem. So Paul then shifts gears in the middle of chapter 3, and he says, but we've got a provision. And he goes back and he explains in detail what the gospel is all about. And last week we saw the first part of this series on provision. And remember what he said is, you are saved by grace through faith and it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for your sins and he rose again and that's why you are going to be able to go into heaven if you put your faith in that. That's the message. This is justification for all. Everybody 
has an opportunity to be right with God. What a great message. That's what we talked about last week. But Paul, uh, he doesn't stop there. What Paul does is he anticipates there's going to be a problem. And the, the problem is, is that the Jewish person is going to say, and, and rightly so, really, when you think about it, they're saying this Old Testament we have, they didn't call it the Old Testament then, but it's the Old Testament. Is it valid? If, if it's all based on Jesus Christ, what about the guys that came before him? What about Abraham, the founder of our faith? What about David, the founder of our nation? We're in trouble. We've got a big problem here. And we say, that's your problem. I'm not Jewish. Why am I worried about this? Well, we should be because we're teaching the Old Testament all the time. We have kids over here right now in Sunday school that are learning things from the Old Testament. Is this stuff true? You know, Daniel in the lion's den and, and uh, Esther and, um, and Boaz and Ruth and David. And, is that stuff true? Does it even matter? It does matter. It all ties together. And that's what Paul is going to talk about today is how it all ties together. So before we jump into it, I want to tell you that next week we're going to be looking at uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25. Romans 4, 13 through 25. Today, let me read and kick us off with Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Paul says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? Or also for the uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised. Who are not merely circumcised. But who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Man, my tongue is sore. <laughs> Man, that's a, that, that kind of twists, you know, saying that. But, but we're going to get into it. And what we're talking about is faith is counted as righteousness. And what do we mean by that? We'll get right into it. We have, we have three case studies basically today. Three case studies, if you will. The first one is the case of Abraham, verses 1 through 5. And, and what he says here, verses 1 through 5, is he says, what was gained by Abraham, our forefather in the flesh, or in terms of the things that he did? Let's understand, Abraham was considered the father of the Jewish faith, the father of Judaism. 
He was a man of incredible faith who at one point believed that he would have a child when he was over 100 years of age and that that child, from that child, would come a nation. He believed that there would be other nations that would come from him, and that happened as well. And the Jewish people at this point, they were kind of exclusive. They looked at him as the father of the Jews. And they looked at his incredible faith. They said, this guy's an amazing guy. And so Paul is going to raise this up and he says, if he was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now, justified, remember, is a courtroom term and it's used interchangeably with righteousness. So he's saying, if Abraham comes to the court and he says, here's my case, and God says, you mean you had that much faith? You mean you did all those great things? You mean you're that incredible of a person? You're good. Come sit with me. That's pretty impressive. No, notice, by the way, that he, when he says that he, if he's justified by his works, he doesn't say by his works of the law. This is the only place that doesn't talk about works of the law. Abraham could not be justified by works of the law. There's no way that God could say to him, you can come and sit with me because you follow the law 100% perfect. You know why? The law wasn't given for 430 years later. So he's saying, whatever law it was, you tried to live up to perfection as best you knew it, and you did it, and you know what? You're here with me. You've got a lot to brag about. That sounds good, but then he says this kind of subtly. He says, but not before God. No, it ain't happening. He can't do it. He can't do it because he's not good enough. Remember last week, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Abraham sinned and he fell short of the glory of God. As good as he was, he was not good enough. He was not perfect and he fell short of the grace of God. And of course, the Jewish person would say, yeah, but that's you, Paul. That's not the Old Testament. And Paul might well say this. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. This isn't new. It's what the Old Testament always taught. We are human beings. He's God. We're not good enough. We can't get in on our own. That's the problem. So Abraham, good as he was, was unable to get in to be with God. But, but here's the problem is both Old and New Testament talk about him being in heaven. How did he get in? How did he get in before Jesus died and resurrected? How did that happen? You see the problem we've got here? If you're wrestling with that, you're exactly where Paul wants you. He set you up, and this is what he wants you to be thinking. This is where he wants you to be, and now he can give you his clincher. He's going to talk about a verse that perhaps more than any other verse ties the Old and New Testament together. Moses wrote it many, 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 many years ago, centuries ago, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Genesis 15, verse 6, and he will, he will basically just re-say it. He'll recite what is said in the scriptures. He says, Abraham believed God. That's synonymous with Abraham had faith in God. Abraham trusted in God. Abraham surrendered to God. You can say it a bunch of different ways. They're all synonymous. He basically gave himself to God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness means that he basically, Abraham felt through himself on the mercy of the court. He said, I'm guilty. And God said, come on up here and be with me, my son. You're right with me now. I've acquitted you. He counted it to him as righteousness. The Greek word counted is legistimai. 
What does a logistomite sound like? Logistics, right? They're like figuring. It's like, it's like I, you ever hear somebody say, I figured that was right, or I figured that out. I figured you'd be here. God says, I figured, based on the things that you've done, based on my calculations, you've done what you need to do to get in. Nothing. You've trusted in me. That's it. You're in. Come on. That's the message he gives to Abraham. And this happens to Abraham before Jesus. But he knows that Abraham has faith. And he knows that Abraham would believe. Abraham believes in the promise of Jesus before Jesus comes, before he even fully understands it. And that's enough. That's how he gets in. And, it's, and he says, and he, Paul's emphatic, this is not an employee. It's not like he did something and God's doing this because of what he did. He didn't do it like an employee who earns his way in. He just surrendered. Is it work when, when you're in a battle, when you're in an army, you know, and you're battling somebody and they lay down their arms? Is that a form of works? It's a form of surrender. It's giving up. So Abraham just says, I believe God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it. Whatever you say will happen, I believe it. I will believe. I choose, I choose to believe in the unbelievable. Take me, I'm yours, whatever you want. And God, Paul says, that's good enough. And it's interesting here, he says, to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Abraham, they want to look at Abraham as a representative of the Jews. But Paul is emphatic. Abraham is representative of the ungodly. He came before Judaism, you know, before the Jewish nation had even been formed. He came before the law was given. And so he says, He's ungodly, but he's justified. He's been made right because of his faith in me, because he trusted in what was going to happen. Got it? We talked a little bit about this last week. Let's understand his faith. You know, to understand his faith better, the best passage is in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, there's a bunch of things it says about people that are, it's called the hall of faith. And it talks about all these people who you know, men and women who just had incredible faith in believing in God. And probably the star guy is Abraham because he's really famous for his faith. And so we go through, and these are some of the things that he had faith in. Abraham, by faith, left his modern-day home, uh, his modern-day, it was today, Iraq, and he followed God, and he didn't even know where he was going. He just started walking. And then Abraham believed faith, he followed God again, and by faith, he settled in a foreign land, which became Israel. By faith, Abraham believed when he was over 100 years of age that he would have a son, which he did, that would carry this on, named Isaac. And by faith, he was willing to give Isaac back to God. Pretty incredible faith. Whatever God says, he's going to believe. Um, there's some interesting things there, but I really like the insight that uh, Randy Alcorn makes um, on one verse. Listen, listen to this. He says, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 states that Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he did know with whom he went. Perhaps it is a good description of faith. You do not always know exactly where you're going in following the Lord, but you do know who you're going with, and that makes all the difference. Do you understand? That's what faith is. Abraham had far, far, far less information about what was going to happen than we do. We can look back and see that Jesus rose from the grave. He died and rose from the grave from us. And we can look forward. And there are things we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out in the end. But we know who we're walking with. 
and we can look at what he's already done. And so we keep walking. We can go through times where it seems bad, where it seems like bad things are happening to good people. But we know we can look back and see the justice of God, and we know who we're walking with. We know who we're walking with, and we put our faith in him. And so that's the message we have before us is that, you know, it begins with salvation, but it, then it becomes a daily trust in him. And we trust in him just like Abraham did. And we watch and see what he'll do in our lives. Now he goes on and he gives the case of David. And this is an interesting one. Um, he quotes from David from um, Psalm chapter 32, verses 1 through 2. David, of course, was a musician. Psalm 32 was one of his songs. We've lost the melody, so it's retained for us as poetry. And he uses this as kind of a commentary on what he's just said from Genesis. And we're saying, well, why, why all of a sudden, David, why is this happening? A couple interesting things. You guys, okay, you want to learn something a little bit more kind of academic. You know, every once in a while, it's good to kind of know some stuff, okay? So if you don't, that's okay. You don't have to, you, you just, you have to listen anyway, because I'm going to be telling you, okay? So, so whether you want to hear it or not, this is kind of interesting, I think. Um, the Jewish people, there, at the, by this time, there'd been this horrible persecution, so the Jewish people were dispersed throughout the known world. That was called the diaspora, okay? So when anybody says, what's the diaspora? And that's the Jewish people were spread throughout the known world. Well, guess what? They weren't speaking Hebrew anymore. Because the places they went, they didn't learn Hebrew. And after centuries, most people didn't speak Hebrew. So if they want to communicate to each other, what language do they use? They use the language that everybody in the, primarily speaks in the country. English. No, they don't speak English. They spoke Greek. A certain dialect of Greek. Koine Greek. That's why the New Testament is written in Koine Greek. But how about the Jewish people? How could they all read their Bible? They couldn't because they couldn't read Hebrew. So, some of the guys got together, scholars, and they wrote a Greek Bible. They translated the Hebrew into Greek, and they called it the Septuagint. And that was the Bible that all the Jews were reading. Every quote we have, every quote we have of Paul, Paul quoting the Old Testament, he quotes it from the Septuagint. It's exactly accurate. People get so hung up on translations. You know, Paul would not have gotten hung up on translations. He didn't want to force the people to go back to Hebrew. He said, we'll, we'll go with the Greek. That's what you're speaking. That's what we're going to go through. Why is that important? It's important for, for a couple factors. One is that when you go to the New Testament, sometimes the, they'll quote the Old Testament, and it sounds like they're a little bit different. Sometimes it's because they're making a certain commentary. They're trying to point it out. It's, what they, it's called madrastic. It just was their way of kind of commentating. But sometimes it's because they're quoting from the, the Greek, and sometimes the words are a little different. Very important here because in the Greek translation of Psalm 32, they use a word called logistomai. And that's the word that Paul wants to zero in on, logistomai. And a lot of the rabbis in those days would say, if you find one word, you can connect it. Sometimes it's out of context, but here it's in context. Logistomai. He counted it to him as righteousness. That's what he says about Abraham, right? But here he says the same thing. In verse 8, he says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count, logistomai, his sin. God counted Abraham's faith, his belief, as righteousness. But David says that God will forgive a person of their sins and count them as righteousness if they believe, even if they sin. They will believe. 
Now, here's where it comes. Now, now this is where he really pulls it together here. He uses, so Paul, Paul was trained by the greatest teacher of the land, by a man by the name of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was a great rabbi who was in the school of Hillel. And they taught the principle of analogy. Analogy means they taught that you can learn something from another person's life. You take a famous person's life and you do an analogy and say, what can we learn from this guy's life? He takes David's life. Perfect example because David is the first king of United Israel. He's the founder of the nation. You guys got that? Now, follow me on here. He says, David is saying that a lawless person that a bad person can be forgiven and if by, if by faith it will still be counted to them as righteousness. So this isn't just for a person who's a good person. This is even for a person who's a bad person. What do we know about David? If we're reading this Psalm 32 and we know David's life, we know that even though he's a great king, David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and he conspired with some others to have her husband, Uriah, killed. David was an adulterer and a murderer. And David is writing about himself and saying that by God's grace, he's still getting in. It's still counted to him as righteousness. Do you see how that ties together? That is, that is pretty heavy stuff. And so you can be good or bad, but faith still is faith. And so I have people come up to me and they'll say, but Ron, I have this deep, dark, persistent sin in my life. I, can, I, I, I can't get to heaven because of it. And my answer is, yeah, you do. And you can't get to heaven because of it. But guess what? I can't get to heaven either. It doesn't matter. There's no degrees of bad. You know, you're either in or you're out. Right? And so that's what this is about. He says, doesn't matter how bad you've been you can still get in. Okay, so then he has one more case study, and it's the case study of, um, the case of Abraham's circumcision. I'm getting tired of talking about circumcision. You know, (laughs) Paul just seems to be hung up on it, you know, I mean, it's just, it's hard enough just to say, you know, about a hundred times, you know, in a sentence. But, um, but understand that this was a big issue for them, because circumcision marked a person as part, uh, as, part of the Jewish nation is part of, they've made a covenant with Judaism. So their idea is if a person's marked by circumcision, they're getting into heaven. To understand it, it's the same as us today where people say, I'm going to heaven because I was baptized. I'm going to heaven because I took communion. Right? (laughs) You know, and so people, do people say that? They do sometimes. And Paul is saying, this is the same thing. No, that's not going to get you in. Why does he bring this up? He is now going to comment on David because you know what they, the typical Jewish person would say after what he said about David? Even the bad guys get in by faith. No. You know how David got in, Paul? He was circumcised. He was circumcised. It doesn't matter how bad he was, he was circumcised, so he's getting in. Paul says, no, 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 no. Circumcision isn't getting him in. So I'm getting tired of talking about circumcision, so I'm going to nail this coffin closed. <laughs> Okay, and so Paul does it. And what he does here is is he says, um, it all really comes down to this question. Was Abraham circumcised before he believed or after? Because if he was circumcised before he believed, then the circumcision is, you know, arguably what saved him. But Paul knows the answer, and, and we do too. Abraham 
is told first to follow God in Genesis chapter 12. We've just looked at Genesis chapter 15 where God again calls to him and, and he believes in his righteousness. He isn't circumcised until Genesis 17. That was 14 years later. About 46 years from the first time he talked to God about this. Circumcision doesn't have anything to do with it. Abraham was saved apart from that. So why didn't circumcision even an issue? It, it's a sign. It's a sign that he, afterwards he said, I've made a covenant with God and I've been saved because I believe. And it's based on just believing in God. And now, you know, people get a tattoo or something. I, I, I want to remember this day. You know, or they write something down, I want to remember this day. Or they put, a, you know, they put something in their backyard, you know, they mark their tree or whatever. I want to remember this day. This is a sign that this was the day that I made sure I let everybody know that I have committed myself. I'm part of this family. I'm part of this, this group. And so that's what it's really about. Um, so, so we need to keep that in perspective. Now, there's, a, there's one more problem, though, here. One more. A Jewish person says, Paul, my grandma just died. Oh, she was such a sweet lady. And man, you know, she, she did everything you're supposed to do in the law. I mean, wasn't circumcised, but uh, she's late. But, 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 but the basic idea is that she did all the law. I mean, they would, it just it was symbolic of the law. She followed the law. She did everything she was supposed to do. But she died before she heard all this. She, she died before for Jesus. She tried to live by the law. She going to hell? Paul says this. Paul says, says no. He, he says, uh, God, he says, but it is for those who walk in the footsteps of faith. If she walked in the footsteps of faith, if does, the law is irrelevant whether she followed it or not. What's relevant is if she had Abraham's faith. Did she believe God? Did she surrender totally to him with what she knew? Then she's in. Grandma will be there. And how about those that are uncircumcised? How about those that don't know God? If they give their life to, if they didn't know God, if they give their life to God and they have faith in him, then they will live with him forever in heaven. And that's why, you know, they thought Abraham was the father of nations and that anybody wants to come and convert to Judaism... They're part of, under Abraham. But now they understand that Abraham is the father of anybody who gives their life to God by faith. And so he's spiritually the father of all people that are true believers in Jesus Christ. Got it? Let's look at some applications for this. I want to talk first about um, good boys and bad, uh, good boys and girls. Okay, good boys and girls. Abraham and his wife Sarah were a good boy and girl. They were. They did the right thing. They had their problems and they stumbled. But even when Abraham had a child through Hagar, that was not really considered horrible in the culture at that time. It wasn't what God wanted. He repented of it. But basically, if he was living today with us, Abraham and Sarah, he w they would be like your best employees. Do you see them working down at Conagra? Do you see them working at Skanza? Do you see them working on the ranch? They would be like, man, these guys are the best workers we have. 
They go to school with you. They, oh, these are the nicest kids. They were the nicest kids we had. I remember reunions. Oh, I just loved Abraham and Sarah. So glad they got together. I think I kind of helped match them up, you know. The, everybody loves Abraham and Sarah. If they were your neighbors, nobody would cook a better lamb stew. You know, they, they have you over. They put their arms around you. Everybody said, we love, if, if, if getting to heaven is just being a good person, Abraham and Sarah are in. Right? But they weren't good enough. They were still not good enough. And if Abraham and Sarah are not good enough, then neither are any of us. There's no way any of us to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. We recognize we're sinners, and then we recognize what Jesus did for us on the cross, and then we surrender. We lay our arms down, and we surrender our lives to him. If you haven't done that, please come and talk to us today. Because that's, that's the most wonderful thing you can ever do. And if you have done that, I have a warning for you. Now that you've been saved by grace through faith, stop living like you're a good boy and girl all the time. There are some of us that really struggle with that. We feel like we have to be perfect. Some people have trouble even ever being wrong. They feel like if they're, you know, if they're wrong, then they're not a good Christian. Which is crazy because... The exact opposite is the message of the scriptures, that we're all wrong all the time. We make mistakes all the time. That's a starting point. But, but you know, it can get into this situation where, you know, we're, we're like, well, I'm trying to impress people. I hope everybody, you ever get to that game where you think, I wonder if people are going to think about me when I do this. I wonder if anybody, I wonder if they're going to go home and say, what a good person he was or what she was. Um, boy, that sure hard workers. Man. Boy, they're really good at what they do. You know, people start, you know, you, do you do things so people look at you and think how good you are? Do you do things to impress people? Do you have a list? Do you have a, a, a goals, list of goals that you have to fit every day? And if they don't get done, you're upset with yourself because you fell short of your law? You know, we can get, there's times you can get caught up in those games. Just how, what do I have to do? And you can start judging others. You can get your whole identity wrapped up in your job and what you do. And, and you're, you're, you're just trying to be the good boy and girl, trying to impress everybody with how perfect you are. Everything has to be perfect. Everything has to be the best. And you know what? It'll drive you crazy because that's not how God made you to be. You know, I know because I'm an expert at that. I'm, I, I always, when I was a little boy, when we played cowboys, I always wore the white hat. You know, I always had to wear the white hat because I always had to be the good boy. And I'd feel super guilty if I did anything wrong. I tell you, I've gotten literally physically sick to my stomach throughout my life because I'm trying so hard to do right and I get so upset with myself and I just feel like I failed and I'm so upset with me and it's like, how can I be this way again, Lord? How could you love me? I just let you down again. That's not how God operates. He loves us for who we are. So we do good things, but we don't do them to impress God or impress others. We just do them because they're the right thing to do. We don't get on ourselves. We just... We just do what God tells us to do one step at a time as he impresses it on our heart, as it lines up with the scriptures, and we just do what he wants because we love him, because we love other people. And just let the chips fall where they may. Don't beat yourself up. Now we're going to look at the other side. We're going to look at the bad boys and girls. Uh-oh. The bad boys and girls, David and Bathsheba. Boy, he's a great leader, but I'd never trust him. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, don't have them, I don't want him to come over to my house. Um, I mean, these guys are bad guys. They did some bad things. And there are some people in this church that I'm sure have done some bad things. 
And some of you feel like if anybody in this church knew what I had done, they would ask me to go home. But what Paul is saying is that it doesn't matter what you've done. You are no worse than the good boy or girl if you've given your life to God by grace through faith. You can come in. You are welcome. This is the place where you're safe. This is the place where we start again. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't consequences. David had consequences for his sin. It wreaked havoc in his family. His own son rebelled against him. But at the end of the day, God was with David, and David ended his race strong. And God can do the same for you. But you have to be careful and guard against those past sins. You need to get people around you and praying for you. You need to get involved in ministry, and you work one step at a time. It's hard. I had a brother I was talking to on the phone just recently who was telling me problems in his life, and, and he has all these problems. But I told him, what you need to do is take care of you. Don't worry about other, other people or problems of the past. You just start one step at a time. You get into where you need to be to get the help you need to get. If you need to get into some kind of a program, a 12-step or something, then do that. If you, need to, if you need to get in the Bible study, do that. If you have sins that are bothering you, write them all down on a piece of paper and burn them up and throw them away because that's how God feels about them. Leave it in the past. If you need to say you're sorry to somebody or to God, do that and then move on. Now, finally, I want to talk about signs. Abraham wasn't saved by circumcision, but circumcision was a mark of the covenant by which he was saved. How does that work for us? You are not saved by baptism, you are baptized because you're saved. If you have not been baptized and you're saved, then you need to be baptized. But baptism won't save you, but baptism is a declaration that you are saved. You are not saved by the Lord's Supper, but you take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of the fact that you are saved. You are not getting into heaven. You're not in because you come to church, but you come to church because you are in. You don't share your faith to earn your salvation. You share your faith because you want others saved. Does that make sense? That's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. So, so that's the balance between those extremes. So we need to keep those in perspective. Now, as we kind of wrap this up, there, there's, there's one other thing that I was thinking of. And maybe, you know, I know I'm kind of weird sometimes, and don't nod your heads. Um, but... <laughs> But sometimes I, I just think this way, I, and I think like, well, who's kind of like Abraham and Sarah for us? Or, or Abraham and David? Who's Abraham and David for us today? I mean, we, that's going back, way back. But for us, like in our generation, you know, who would kind of be Abraham and, and David? And I was thinking about that, and I got to thinking, um, if you go, I think it was A.W. Criswell, was this great Southern Baptist preacher who wrote this story called the, the Scarlet Thread of Redemption. He said, the blood of Jesus can be traced from the death of Jesus all the way down to today. There has always been a remnant of people who follow Jesus. No matter how bad things get, no matter how dark things get, there are always those that believe the things that we're teaching about the Bible today. They may vary in specifications, but they basically believe, okay? And they come down and they take different names. Sometimes they are called the Orthodox or the Pietists, and Martin Luther called them the Evangelicals. And in the 1950s, a new movement was started called the New Evangelical Movement. 
okay? And it was named after Martin Luther. So we have the new evangelical movement, and we're basically part of that movement. Who was the person who started that movement? Who is the most famous person in that movement? Anybody want to try? Billy Graham. You passed away recently. Billy Graham, good answer. So Billy Graham is kind of like our Abraham. Did they have a warrior king that was a big hero that we can look up to? Well, they didn't. It was right after World War II. They had generals and presidents. They didn't have kings. Was there a general who became president? Eisenhower. Eisenhower actually had an inappropriate relationship with a lady during the war years, during the stress he was going through. He repented of that. He turned his life around, followed God, befriended Billy Graham, and became president. Isn't it interesting how history repeats itself? A lot of interesting connections, though, and all these connections. But, but here's the thing is, these are just people. And sometimes you'll hear people saying, you know, the press will malign evangelicalism and say, well, I, I want to defend evangelicalism. That's not what Billy Graham said. That's not like one of my heroes was Eisenhower and look at his life. And then we do that today, right? And people say, well, this is my favorite speaker. I have people come and talk to me about speakers. They, they quote them like, you know, they're God. And you got to be careful of that. Like we're talking about the translations. Every once in a while, you'll hear a speaker say, this is the best translation and nobody should use any other translation. And then people will come and say, oh, I, that translation isn't any good. That's just a paraphrase. And they say, that, you know what? Those guys don't even read the original Hebrew and Greek. Almost nobody does anymore. They don't, you know why they're publicizing that book? Is because they've got an endorsement from a, that, that translation group a lot of times, and they're doing commercials for them. So they're saying, this is my Bible. This is what you should do. They're not scholars. They can't even speak on it. But they divide the body of Christ, and now everybody's fighting over what translation to use. Isn't that silly? Just because we just get so caught up in this person, and the person gets so caught up in themselves, and we have fights over things like that. So we've got to watch out for it. Or we say, this guy's our hero. He's a sports star. Let's listen to what he has to say. And that's not what it's all about. So they kind of got caught up with that with David and Abraham. Do you see that? David and Abraham became too important. Is it possible for us to make our Christian celebrities too important? Even Billy Graham said, it's not about me. He said, it's what the Bible says. Can we get back to what the Bible says and get away from what the celebrities always say? We have to be really careful of that. So let's remember that we're saved by grace through faith and not through the sole teaching or heroism of any Christian celebrity. Our faith comes not through them because often under trial and pressure, they will fail us. Our faith is in Christ alone. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, Jesus, that our faith can be in you alone because of what you've done for us. Um, You died on the cross and you rose from the grave, and we're about to celebrate that now uh, through the taking of the Lord's Supper. So we thank you for that. We we celebrate at this time, even though it's sorrowful, um, and we recognize what you did, and we're grateful that by grace, through faith, we are saved. And it's not because of any person like Abraham or David or anybody else. Um, It's because of the man God, Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. And I pray that uh, you would encourage us. And if there's anybody that doesn't yet know you, I pray for your drawing power in their life that they'd come into a relationship with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.